raised in Columbiana, and I realized after reading the newsletter that she is a woman after my own heart with her English degree and her English teaching experience. Uh, she's been involved with the Upper Room Fellowship for a number of years and is now serving as one of the pastors um, that focuses on worship leading, women's ministry, and small groups. She's married to her husband, Chris, and she shares two children with him, and we welcome you, Kate, this morning to share with us today. Sorry, give me a second. This is a tight fit. Okay. Everyone here? Okay. All right, good morning. My name's Kate. It's really good to be here. It's an honor to be here. I'm really grateful. Um, bear with me. I'm one of the pastors in leadership at the Upper Room, but I am not the teaching pastor. That is my husband. So um, I'm, <laughs> I have really prepared for this morning, but I make no promises because <laughs> uh, my roles are usually not speaking. So... I might just hold this. Anyway, uh, thank you for your intro. Um, thank you for that worship time. That was so lovely. And whoever chose the songs, I just felt, wow, they connected really beautifully to my topic today. So I'm grateful for that because, oh, it made me cry a little bit. Um, it, it got me. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. So anyways, uh, my name's Kate. I am part of the Upper Room Fellowship. was right down the road. I've been married to Chris for uh, 20 years. He's the teaching pastor at the church. We have two kids, Kana, who's 14, and Corinne, who's 12. And before I was in leadership at the Upper Room, I was actually an English teacher in the middle and high school at Heartland for about 15 years or so. So I did a lot of grammar instruction. Uh, which is not my favorite. But what was my favorite is I also taught AP, um, which is a college-level course for seniors. I taught that for a long time, and we really focus on reading stories and novels and poetry um, and then discussing its power and effect on humanity, which is kind of my favorite. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for contemplation and conversation there, um, which I think is a lost art in the world that we live in today. Um, but that is a sermon for another time. So <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe come back and talk about that later. Um, but I grew up in Columbiana. I've been here all of my life. Before I was a home, I was a Perkins. If you know my mom and dad or Dave and Ginny, um, my parents uh, were part of the upper room for as long as I can remember. They were leaders there and were really involved. Um, as of today, I am 40. 
and I have been in the upper room for 40 years. So we joke around that I was born there, that I was born in the parking lot. I was not, but it's been that long. <clears throat> I spent all of my weekends and lots and lots and lots of nights at the church, and this, this is an example just to say that, you know, um, church is really important to my family. It was really important to my parents. And um, not because my parents were religious, but just because they understood the value of the church. And when I say church, I don't mean the upper room. When I say church, I mean the big, big C church. They understood the value of that. Um, so they understood that that's what I really needed to experience and grow up in, um, because all the, you know, although the upper room was our church, it was just one expression. And there are lots of expressions in Columbiana of the Big C Church. You know, right now, as we meet, the Nazarene is also meeting, the Presbyterians are also meeting, the Upper Room is also meeting, the Anglican, the Lutherans, and St. Jude's Catholics are meeting right now, too. And my parents really believed that we needed to understand those expressions as well as the Upper Room. So as a child, um, I have lots of memories. <laughs> I have memories of being seated in pews, just like these. I remember being seated in metal chairs, church basements, stained glass rooms, uh, gymnasiums turned sanctuaries. Uh, I remember singing hymns. I remember uh, bands, uh, choirs. I remember being a little kid and looking out into congregations where there was just white hair. And I remember being in churches in Youngstown where I was the only white person in the room. So we had lots of different experiences as kids um, in, in experiencing the Big C Church. And those, those experiences and that education marked me and gave insight into what I think is um, a really remarkably important um, thing that I think should be important, that I think that important to the body of Christ. Um, we could ask that question, like, why is that such a big deal? You know, why, why are you sitting through a tradition that you don't observe? Why are you meeting with people that you'll probably meet for about five minutes and may not ever see again? Uh, why would you subject yourself to being in a place that's really uncomfortable? And um, I think that those are fine questions. I think that people often argue that, you know, we belong in different churches, right? Because we have um, different doctrinal views and different worship styles. And we all veer towards churches that are either family or that have our bent. And I know that it's really easy to see those differences and to like those differences. I mean, you might even feel that about the upper room. Sometimes we get that a lot, you know, the upper room. Gosh, they're a little loud. <laughs> um, their worship times really run on forever. Or Chris's sermons tend to be about 15 to 20 minutes long. He doesn't share long. So we've had people say, was that even a sermon? I'm not quite sure that was a sermon. <laughs> so, so we get that. I understand that there are differences, and that's okay. Um, I get it, and that, that is easy. But here's something that I have noticed. I've noticed that um, Jesus does not necessarily love easy. And I've noticed that Jesus 
oftentimes loves what's actually really difficult. And um, he doesn't love difficulty just for difficulty's sake. He loves because what is difficult actually joins us together and actually separates us from the world, but in a good way. I think, at least this is my heart, I think that we should be able to show the world the beauty of what's possible. And I think that one of the most outrageous things that the world cannot wrap its head around, because it's so difficult, is unity. And I think <laughs> that whether we enjoy the ways that churches uh, do their church or not, I think that we've all been called to unity. So I'm going to read from John 17. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you sent me, and they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. So... We all, I think, understand the magnitude and importance of this prayer and what's happening right now. Jesus is preparing to be crucified. You know, these are some of his final words. And he could have left with some prayers like, all right, God, if I had to do anything, Lord, just help them get it straight. Like, help them keep the theology lessons down. Help them to hold the line. But Jesus does not any of those things. He could have prayed for anything, but as he prepares to leave the earth, <laughs> he leaves it with the unfulfilled desire to see his church alive in complete unity. And his prayer focuses on what's at the top of the list for him, and that is unity. So um, in the world that we're living in right now, we might have forgotten what unity is. <laughs> so should I read the definition? I think we should. Let's go to the definition. What is unity? Unity is being in harmony or of one spirit, the opposite of being divided, a state of being complete, all parts connected. All parts connected might be my favorite of those definitions because I believe in this time in history we're seeing massive disconnection I think that you might agree with that. But all parts connected is the heart of Jesus. Mm. So um, because I'm teaching about unity, there's also a unity in a world that I'm really comfortable with, and that's the world of writing. Um, when I teach my eighth graders to write every year, we would always write papers that would have to surround the idea of being unified or practicing unity in their writing. And we did this because, you know, eighth graders start out, um, I'll give them a paper to write, they'll say, I want to talk about how to train my dog, and I'll say, yes, let's talk about training your dog. And then by the end of the paper, it's 
paragraphs of commentary on um, Gucci Mane's latest rap album. That's what we end with. You know, it's like Snoop Dogg or Jay-Z at the end. And I don't know how we just got from training a dog, but obviously we lose the unity in that. And so eighth graders need that help. But um, what does that really mean? The, the idea when I'm teaching unity in writing is that every sentence has to have a point. Every sentence has meaning in a paper, and every sentence has to revolve around your main idea. And so this is a really good word picture, that a well-done paper all comes together to point towards one topic. And essentially, this is Jesus' prayer in John, that all of us could join around that main thing, that main topic, connect to the one thing, and that is Jesus. That's Jesus and who he is and what he wants. So if we're supposed to focus on the main topic and our main goal is unity, I'm sorry, he just hit his head. That made me sad. Um, what, what does Jesus teach? What does Jesus desire? And I think this is really necessary and, and important to ask because I think as a body of Christ, and I mean Big C Church, not just here, that we need to continually keep checking ourselves and asking ourselves, um, what we're doing as Christians and the church as a whole. So, so often, our human desire is to move away from people, and we see that today, but it's also a way to, it, it's also, we're also watching us kind of move away from unity. Our natural bent is to kind of classify and compare and to separate from people. And this is a really easy thing to do, right? So we're talking about doing the difficult things. This is easy to naturally create a separation. So um, Tim Keller, he's a pastor and a theologian, and he's an apologist, and he writes and writes and writes. He's got lots of books. Um, he talks about how churches and people can so easily become self-righteous. He comments that the Big C Church has grown, as it has grown in self-righteousness, um, it has become rigid. And in the rigidity that we've created, we have forgotten our solidarity with the rest of the body of Christ. I'll say that again. <laughs> we have forgotten our solidarity with the rest of the body of Christ. So Paul points towards this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us. You cannot compare, classify, or separate and get unity. And unity is what Jesus wants doing the comparing and the classifying and separation, this gets us self-righteousness, right? And we know that that's where, it, we know where that puts us, our self-righteousness. doesn't put us in good places. Paul makes it really clear instead, that instead of doing these things, that we should be focusing on the importance of each of our specifically designed services to God. So your service to God as a body in a church is huge. It's beautiful. 
the Nazarene, the Presbyterian, the Lutherans, the Anglicans in the upper room, we all have very assigned and specific services to God. And rather than viewing each other in separateness by classifying or comparing, Paul is encouraging us to see that we have different assigned services and to continue in unity even then. So um, A.W. Tozer said that it is never identical doctrinal views that will bring unity. In his writings, um, he uses this metaphor about organs and a body that I think is really interesting. He talks about our heart, our lungs, and our brains. And he says that there are a lot of things that you can actually take out of a person for them, and, and they'll continue to live. So there are a lot of things that can be removed, and they live on. However, there are a few things that if you remove, <laughs> we will not make it. The lungs, the brain, the heart. All right. So this is a picture of what he calls the great organs of truth. There are great organs of truth in the body of Christ that we must have to be like a unifier and a rallying cry. Um, but there are also parts of a man's body that can be taken and still function. So those might be our differences or our um, different assignments or different services. Um, all that to say that there's a grace for churches in the areas where we have differences, you know, where the major organs of truth are present, um, we can still work towards unifying. We can still work towards what Jesus prayed would be unity. Um, so, in Jesus' desire for this, like, I hope that you're getting the idea now that, like, this idea, this topic is really powerful and important and really desirable and huge. Um, Francis Chan, one time, he described unity as the church's perfume. It is our attractant. Um, I talked earlier about how Jesus wants us to do the more difficult thing. He wants us to do the harder thing because the easier thing is that we would separate or compare and qualify. Jesus desires that we would live in radical unity, not only because it pulls us closer to Jesus, but it also attracts the world to us. And that's actually the end of Jesus' prayer. At the very end of his prayer, he says, Then the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you loved me. So the church's unity is proof. It's proof. It's the draw. It's the hard thing actually being done. <laughs> it's the unity that lets the world know what Jesus is about. So Tozer describes this kind of unity in Christ as a connected flow. And this is my favorite word picture to kind of help us imagine the power of unity in the church. He said, unifying in Christ creates a connected flow, a current that functions much like electricity. So when you are in a house and there is broken wiring or we have unconnected wiring and I go to the door to turn on the light, what happens? I'll let you answer. Nothing, thank you, okay? <laughs> nothing, nothing happens at all. If we have unconnected, disconnected wiring, nothing happens. And in that image, the church loses power when we are disconnected. Unity in the body is necessary to the flow of God's power. It really is. 
So in Philippians 2.2, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. Unifying intently was really important to Paul, too, because I think he understood that unity expresses the grace to the world that the world needs to see. And I feel like um, this is a really beautiful example of um, the Mennonite community. Um, I have been, oh, I've had so much fun over these last couple of weeks. I've been reading about you guys. It's been wonderful. I've been reading about church history and um, people and writings and their past. And even from the very beginning, you know, surviving persecution, holding to peace, living um, as a witness to God's love and peace wherever they went, welcoming everybody, um, even your enemies. I've been reading so many stories, and they are wild and crazy. Um, one specifically, I can't remember his name now, but um, where they give their lives, and then they save the person who then turns around and kills them, literally. Um, so it's been phenomenal, and I'm really um, honored to have been have this opportunity but to read and to be influenced by the Mennonite community um, and I also just wanted to say your pastor and his family have been such a beautiful example of you guys and your values and that the Petersons live so genuinely and authentically and um, it's just been an honor for me I'm really happy to know them more than a sermon this is just me being like you guys are awesome and you're leadership team is awesome, and Matt and the Petersons are awesome, and I just want to say, you know, Matt and his family, they take what they believe so seriously, and there have been points where they've even challenged me, I mean, not like verbally challenging me, but it mentally, after I have dinner with them, I'm like, man, do I live, do I live as well as I say that I want to live? I just feel like they have been <clears throat> so beautiful in expressing your values, and um I also just appreciate so much that Matt is a part of the Ministerial Association. I'm part of the Ministerial Association, and we are um, a bunch of pastors that meet monthly together. And I just appreciate so much that the Midway Mennonite is a part of the CCMA. I think it's beautiful um, because I feel like we miss this all the time and forget it all the time, but that Jesus' Jesus's prayer was unity and the CCMA is working towards that. And I know it's difficult, Matt, to make another meeting. It's so difficult to make another meeting sometime. And it's sometimes so difficult to spend time with people that you don't see very often. But I just thank you that you have let Matt be a part of that and you have let him um, just continue in the significance of the pastors meeting together in town. I think it's really beautiful. Because, if I may for a moment, I'm just going to the Ministerial Association. Um, I love the Ministerial Association in town so much because I believe that it's a picture of what God really, really loves, and that's his church coming together. So um, I want to tell you just for a moment a couple of things that the Ministerial Association, hard to say, has gotten to do. Um, this is, again, not to boast, but I had a friend who was away in college, and he came back, and he was in Columbiana, and he was kind of bemoaning um, the idea that he just felt like the church isn't really alive here and, you know, I don't see the churches working together and, 
you know, I wish that we could see us work together and do more. And here's what I learned in that moment when we were having this conversation. I, I, learned, I said, well, I think your perception is flawed a bit, um, but I don't blame you because I don't think you've heard the stories. So I don't think necessarily that the church isn't alive. I think that um, sometimes we forget to do the celebrating <laughs> of, of what should be celebrated. And so the way that we embody unity is really huge. I think it's really important because if we, um, if we embody unity silently, how does the world ever know? I don't know if the world will ever know if we embody unity silently. You know, so like when we have weddings, they're really important days. Who knows? Everyone knows. How do they know? They're let know. Everyone's invited. We tell people. We announce it. We not only announce it once, we do it twice. We do save the dates, and then we do invitations. We celebrate the unity in that. And I think, honestly, we need to celebrate the unity of the church. I think we need to talk about it and express that there's some really good and beautiful things happening. So I encourage you to tell stories. If you've heard about churches working together, if you've heard about churches in the body of Christ coming together, tell the stories. Because unity is the hope and desire of Jesus, and so it works. And I think that Columbiana is doing something that's really neat and very special. So I'm just going to share a couple of stories real quick, um, and then I'll be done. Did you know First Christian Church, they usually put on an awesome vacation Bible school, right? First Christian, it is bumping over there. It's so intense. Have you ever ha have you seen what they've done? Some year, if you get to go and visit their church, it is wall-to-wall -wall crazy. But this year, I love what they did. They decided that they would um, celebrate unity, and they invited St. Jude to come and do their vacation Bible school with them. So not only just one, but two churches came together and did this phenomenal vacation Bible school, but also made a ton of relationships, new friendships, and connections for next year with I Love. I love that. Um, did you know that CCMA, our ministerial association, meets with all of the leadership in the city. So not only are all the pastors connected and creating unity between us, we're also creating unity with all the leadership. So the mayor, police chief, city manager, finance manager, all of the school administrators, uh, we meet together. And we get to connect, give information, ideas, encourage each other, share what we have. It's a beautiful, beautiful connection that we have. Um, I just wanted to say thank you because your church and the Presbyterian Church worked together to offer um, different aspects of social justice issues in this past year and the year before. That was beautiful. St. Jude's and the Presbyterian worked together to create a service at Whispering Pines that did uh, like mental and emotional healing from COVID. They just did that. Um, did you know that every year the CCMA works all together to bless um, teachers and staff and schools uh, for the month of Teacher Appreciation Month? So all the schools get together, and we get together with them, and we bring them meals, and we sit with them and spend time with them. We get to know them and bless them with food and snacks and good times. It's really cool. Um, last but not least, I mean, there's tons more, but every year uh, Columbia and Heartland get together, and they do their baccalaureate. And 
all of the CCMA participates in the baccalaureate. So like all of the pastors. So this past year, a couple of administrators spoke, but also um, Presbyterian spoke, spoke Fritz, Fritz, um, Greg Aker from the Upper Room, Jan Winnell from the Nazarene. We all got together to speak to the kids who are graduating into this year. So I thought that was really, really neat and beautiful. So all those stories to say, I believe that what we have is, is really, really beautiful in Columbiana, and it's a great thing, and it's an example of something we, read, we need um, now in the world that we're living in. Um, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago called uh, Church Leaders. Um, it was from an organization called Church Leaders. The article was different, but they were um, talking about um, Tim Keller and this inspirational speaker named Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But he speaks all over. So Simon Sinek and Tim Keller, they were using them to discuss unity. And the author's article um, was in discussing the importance, I'll read this, the importance of the churches in a city to pray, serve, share the gospel in a collaborative way so that onlookers positively reconsider the people of God and the God they follow. I'll read that one more time. The importance of the churches in a city to pray, serve, and share the gospel in a collaborative way so that onlookers positively reconsider the people of God and the God they follow. And this is my favorite quote. <laughs> the thought that we could, working together, cause people to reconsider who God is. Our example of God as a big C church makes people reconsider him. It's our example. <laughs> And Tim Keller quotes in the article, this type of church unity, the church unity we want to see, the type of church unity is a reality that does not exist with regularity or consistency yet. So, like, since, the, since, since Acts, a little after that, we have not been able to manifest unity uh, well or regular, regularly. Um, and there's a whole lot of Mennonite church history that I've been reading about that really sadly proves that point. You know, so whether, whether um, you know, whether your community was um, being beheaded or burned at the stake or running from persecution, a lot of the time it was abuse from another church or another, de another denomination. So I just want to say, obviously, we've gotten some things wrong and we have gotten caught up in some really other issues and uh, it, after studying that and reading about unity, it just makes me wonder if we have missed the point completely. So I love Tim Keller's quote that this unity isn't consistent yet. But I love that there's, I really do, I love that there's hope there. And there should be, because Jesus prayed for it. Jesus prayed that there would be complete unity. And I would like you to name me a time in scripture where you see something that Jesus prayed for and didn't get answered. I think Jesus got his prayers answered. So I know that this is a really tall order, and I know I talked too long, but um, I just know that we're different, and we like things the way we have, uh, have them and the way things that have been, and this might be naive and unrealistic, and I might sound crazy sometimes, but I really truly believe that this is Jesus' prayer and that Jesus' prayers got answered. 
and they're his prayer and not mine. So if I sound naive and unrealistic, not my prayer, Jesus' prayer. And I believe that we are starting to see this in the city of Columbiana, and I think it's really beautiful. And even if it starts on a small scale, um, yeah, I think it can still be done. <laughs> um, Jesus' last prayer before his crucifixion was serious, and the prayer uh, that he prayed was serious, and, and I really feel like the lives we're supposed to be living are serious, and I don't mean that in like a kind of way, but I think in this really crazy and busy and really hectic society that we lived in, that we live in right now, it's really easy to lose focus very, very quickly. It's very easy for me to say, yay, unity, and then you leave and have lunch, and then we're like, whatever, bye. What does she talk about? I don't know. Um, I think, though, that we're really um, supposed to focus on this right now, and I think that we're supposed to pray about this right now, and I think we're really supposed to plan how to build unity right now in the time in history that we're at. So I'm really, really grateful for your example and your lifestyle in this to us, and I'm grateful for Matt and his family um, who see this as important, and I'm really grateful for the Ministerial Association who, well, this is the goal for the city, is to bring unity. And so my encouragement is for all of you... <laughs> that you would please pray. Um, prayer is huge, and we have seen that, I mean, even with Jesus' prayers. Jesus' prayers happened that we would continue to build unity in the city, to see things that we haven't seen yet, to be an example the world hasn't seen yet, to be regular and consistent, so the city and the world uh, begins to reconsider God and Jesus differently. Um, Unity will never be um, just happen. It doesn't happen. Unity does not happen accidentally. Unity has to be intentionally created. And um, I know that we are all in separate churches on a Sunday, but our prayers can be and our lives can be towards the unity of our big C church coming together. And I know it's a tall ask, but I am very grateful for you guys. I'm thankful for your... Um, example as a body of Christ for the way you do it here. It is such a beautiful honor to know you and the Peterson family, and thank you so much. Let me pray. Can I pray for we? Jesus, we just thank you so much, and we love you so much, and we want to love like you and be like you, and we're just so grateful for the example that you set before us, and we thank you for your words that are life-changing and so important that you knew, Jesus, that unity uh, was where we needed to focus. And so that was your prayer, that we could be in complete unity so we could be like you and God and the Holy Spirit. So we pray for unity, God. We don't pray for it now, but we just I just, I just pray, Lord, that you would just put um, even just a desire in this church and all of the other churches in this city, desire in our heart, to work as one, to be collaborative, to work as a collective, to see you glorified so the city and the world can reconsider you and who you are, to see your beauty. So we just love you, and we thank you so much for what you're doing. We just pray you'd move on our hearts um, to see you glorified. And, um, yeah, glorified and just seen in our lives and the way we live. We just thank you so much for Midway Mennonite, Lord. We just pray that you would bless them. 
Lord, we just pray that you would expand them. We pray that your spirit would rest here. We just pray your kingdom come and your will be done over their hearts and their lives and their minds, bodies, their spirits. Lord, we want to say yes and amen to your desire for unity. Help us to do what we can to fulfill the desire of your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.